actually got to meet Martin several years ago. He was here at a conference at our church talking about fresh expressions. The bishop had invited him. Bishop Ken Carter has been a friend of Martin's for 20 years at least. As our Methodist circles often cross, you get to know each other, and it was important to Bishop Carter that Martin share with us what was important, what he had learned, what was on his heart. And it had a profound influence in our conference, as many other things have done, but we were delighted to be able to welcome him back when the invitation and opportunity came. Reverend Dr. Martin Atkins is a pastor. Now, I will tell you, as I read a little bit about him, that his real formation came through Methodist Youth Fellowship. That call came early on. I learned about you. Like so many, they have been touched by that opportunity to be with the youth group. That's why our renovation is so important, because we know lives are changed there, and we want a place where they will come and experience the love of Jesus Christ. Martin has served with distinction in many settings in local churches in Britain. He has served as president of the Methodist Church in Britain. He has been a professor at Cliff College, got his degree at Manchester University, and, and many, many things that you can read about. But most of all, he's a dynamic leader and loves the Lord. He has shaped many lives for good, and I know that he is content to preach in a small church in an English countryside or in a large church, even here in America, but it is that same grace, that same gospel that he offers to us. And I will tell you, we are honored to have Reverend Dr. Martin Atkins with us today, one who has served with the equivalent of the bishop in the church in Great Britain, the Methodist Church in Britain, but also served as a pastor of a local church. He is quite remarkable and a blessing as a writer, as a pastor, as a teacher. He has done a lot. And we're especially grateful, Martin, that you are with us today. I'm grateful that you said yes, that you've come to be with us. I want to begin by reading to you the scriptures that he will be referencing this morning as part of his sermon. Today is Ascension Sunday, and I want to share with you then uh, these scriptures from the book of Luke and from Acts beginning in Luke 24, the 44th 44th verse. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you, which I was when I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he led them as far as Bethany. Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. We're continually in the temple, blessing God. And from the Acts of the Apostles, the first chapter. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up after he had given the commandment through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his passion by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days, speaking of the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but before many days 
you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. They said to him, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, a real privilege to be here. I've learned in the two weeks that I've been here that Americans are very flattering of Brits. I hardly, I hardly recognize anything about myself, David, but I'm pleased to know so much. <laughs> but uh, seriously, it's a real privilege to be here, and I'm, I am grateful to David, your senior pastor, for the opportunity to preach in these few weeks um, before taking up my appointment on the 1st of July. I bring you the greetings of the British Methodist Church, uh, which, uh, like you and like all churches around the world, is finding its way in a, an emerging post-COVID context. And we must continue to pray for one another that we will find that right way. <clears throat> well, as David has said, it's uh, the Sunday after Ascension. Ascension Day was last Thursday. And uh, I want to speak about that today. Uh, effectively, ascension completes what we might call the earthly period of Jesus' life. Because we reach that point where Jesus leaves his disciples and ascends into heaven and returns to God the Father. Uh, in Charles Wesley's great phrase in his hymn, reascends his native heaven. And this morning what I'd like to do very simply is to look first, at all, first of all at what the ascension of Jesus means and to do a little theology about that. No, don't go to sleep, it's fun. And then I'm going to tell you some stories to waken you up, I mean to, to illuminate <laughs> the nature of the ascension for us and I hope that's fun too. Writers of our soap operas and our thriller series on TV all take a lesson from Luke. Each new episode begins with the cliff-hanging scene of the previous episode. And that's what happens here. That's the two readings uh, that your senior pastor has read for us. The dramatic scene of the ascension of Jesus is the hinge, as it's known, that ends Luke's gospel and begins the book of the Acts of the Apostles that most people still believe Luke was the primary author of. So it's at the end of one book and the beginning of the other. Luke is the person who tells us most about the ascension of Jesus. Indeed, there are some writers, uh, Gospels, that don't mention it at all. Uh, just as, incidentally, it's Luke's gospel that tells us most, most about the birth of Jesus Christ. 
And so Luke is very particularly involved and interested in the very beginning and the very end of the life on earth, that's important two last words, of Jesus Christ. Three things I want you to note. The first thing I want you to note is that Luke wants anybody who reads these passages to know that the ascension of Jesus Christ is important. Uh, For the first four centuries of the church, particularly from the second, third and fourth century, Ascension Day was the fourth most important festival of the church year. They went big time on it. And perhaps, if anything, as the centuries have passed, we don't make quite enough of it. Why is it important? Well, because without the Ascension, Luke implies that Christmas can be conceived as a rather romantic fairy story, that Good Friday can simply be the tragic tale of another well-meaning but failed venture, and that Easter can be the mysterious tale about a revived corpse. Because it's the ascension that makes clear that Jesus' work on earth is done that Jesus' work was a crucial work in the work of God, and most supremely, that Jesus has done his work not as a failure, but has accomplished it in the way that God wants it accomplished. It is finished, it is completed. So the ascension marks completion and success, not done your best but failed, try again next time. And it's one of those occasions where, uh, to use an image, God pulls back the curtains and lets light flood into a scene. And God says, as God says on the Mount of Transfiguration, look, this is the one who is who he says he is. I vouch for him. It's okay to believe in him and follow him. I receive him back into heaven with joy for he has done all things well. The ascension is important. Second, I want you to note that the ascension of Jesus brings an end to how the disciples of Jesus are able to follow him. Up to now, you see, for almost three years, these mainly men, but an increasing number of women, and Luke makes uh, a great play of the scores of women who are in the extended band of the disciples. Look, for instance, in Luke 11, Luke uh, 9, Luke 16. But whether you're a male or female disciple in the story of the narrative of the gospel, it's quite clear that when Jesus is taken up to heaven, your discipleship, your following of Jesus, is going to have to be a different mode. For three years, the disciples have spent... uh, almost every waking day, actually being with him, physically, witnessing his deeds, hearing his words, receiving his teaching, traveling together. But from now on, with him ascending to heaven, their following is going to be a different way. They're still going to be with him, or perhaps better, he will be with them, but in a different way. They'll still be witnessing his deeds, but they'll be playing a different role. 
They'll still hear his words, but they'll now also declare them. Having received his teaching, they'll now be asked to proclaim it. Having witnessed what being with him is like, they'll be asked to be his representatives in word and deed. Uh, Note, incidentally, a pattern in Luke. Luke spends 40 days in the wilderness communing with God, after which he takes up his ministry in a new way. Luke 4. The disciples spend 40 days communing with the risen Jesus, who teaches them about the kingdom of God, after which they take up a ministry in a new way. So, Ascension just reminds us of something very simple but quite important. It's this. Our discipleship of Jesus and the ministries and the roles to which we are called throughout our life develop and change and alter. Sometimes it's our age that determines our discipleship. Sometimes it's our health. Sometimes it's other factors. But the secret of living discipleship is saying yes to Jesus Christ at every changing point of our lives. That's a lesson of the ascension. And thirdly, I want you to notice that the angels appear again. Luke loves angels. But today I want you to just simply note almost in passing how often angels bring confusion before ever they might bring clarity. Remember the confusion of Mary when she's told by an angel that she's to bear God's son before she begins to understand that remarkable young woman. Remember the turmoil in Peter as heavenly visitors produce a vision of food and challenge him to go to an unclean person like Cornelius. And the angel says, rise and eat. And Peter is just completely bamboozled. Or remember the young women just a few weeks before this event that Luke's narrating here, who arrive early at a tomb and see an angel sitting on the round stone and the tomb is empty and they are bewildered. I often think when I read this passage of the Ascension that uh, Peter nudges John and whispers to him, Hey, those two white men in white over there, didn't we see them a few weeks ago at, at the resurrection of the Lord? What are they doing here? Well, what indeed? I guess the angels are reminding us every time that they show up that God is doing something fantastic. And we're invited not just to watch, but to believe and then shape our lives by what we see. The thing that the angels are here for this time, says Luke, is to say to a group of disciples, why are you standing staring into heaven? What a silly question. The Lord has just ascended in a great cloud to heaven. They've been with him, they love him, they're about to lose him. Of course they're going to watch him ascend. What the angels are really saying is, don't stand watching Jesus long after he's disappeared. 
there's work for you to do. And what you've seen and what you've experienced, you now must go live out. There's a time to watch an ascending Christ into heaven. And there's a time to wait for the Holy Spirit and power in order to live out the call of the church. So to three ascension stories, brief ones that might help us. Incidentally, if you're into educational theory, about half of you will respond to the first part of the sermon and about half of you will respond to the second because we learn things in different ways. I know it's impossible to believe, but as a young man I played semi-professionally for several years in a gospel band. And it was a rainy autumn evening in October 1976 and me and our two female singers, Jane and Donna, were travelling to a gig in my little old orange estate car. I swear to this day that I wasn't going very fast on that slippy road. But I braked for an approaching bend and the car inexplicably skidded on wet leaves went through a dry stone wall, over a ditch, crashed into a telegraph pole which broke and fell onto the roof of the car. Honest, I wasn't going very fast at all. I'll never forget the policeman. He came out in the rain in his police car. He looked at us. He looked at the demolished wall. He looked at the telegraph pole. He looked at the car, he looked at the roof so smashed in that it was wedged on the top of the gear stick. He looked at Donna, who was okay. He looked at Jane, who had a small gash in her knee, still has the scar to prove it and has never quite forgiven me. And then he looked back at the car and said words which I've never forgotten, which is why I'm telling you so many years later. Well, son, he said, somebody up there loves you. Now that's what ascension supremely makes clear. It means from the point of the ascending of Jesus into heaven that somebody up there loves you. And when you're down or crashed out or devastatingly ill or out of hope, then you'll know just how important it is to know and believe that somebody up there loves you. And some of us here today will need to know that, particularly for peculiar reasons. Somebody up there loves you and he is the Lord of heaven and earth. And that's really good news. Not many miles away from the scene of a wrecked orange estate car is a place in the UK called Bewley Park. It was and still is a kind of outward bound centre. And I visited it many times in my teenage years. In fact, I think it would be fair to say that it, going there was the favourite part of my school life. I loved the canoeing, I adored the caving, and I hated the climbing. So there we were on one day at the bottom of a steep 250, 300, almost vertical slope called the Dancing Bear. It's in North Yorkshire. 
Uh, and it's called the dancing bear because in very high winds it moves, which is slightly disconcerting when you're trying to climb up it. The rock face stretched up into the sky and the teacher said to the six of us, Okay, he said, who's going up there first? And we all developed a, a sudden interest in the grass. Right, he said. And he began to climb and up and up and out of sight. And then after a short while as we waited, there came a distant shout and a dangled rope came down the side of the, of the, uh, uh, the rock. And we followed his instructions, attaching the rope onto the carabiner and made our way one by one up that almost vertical rock. Being generous, I volunteered to go almost last. Fifth out of six, and just to think of it now, even now, 50 years later, I can get quivery about it. How I ever got to the top, I'll never know. But I remember all the way the shouts of encouragement, keeping the rope slack but not too slack, taut but not too taut, but always anchored above. And I remember vividly that quivering, proud moment as I hold myself over the lip of the dancing bear and lay on the grass looking further up into the sky. I remember the claps on the back and the grin of the tutor. Well done, lad, he said. And then more quietly as he tugged on the rope still attached to me and to him, and then behind him, wrapped round an enormous rock. He said to me, I had you every inch of the way. Now there was no way on earth that I could go up that uh, rock face first. But I did go up the rock following after. There's no way on earth that I can get to heaven on my own. But I can get there following after. And as I seek to be Christ's, he has me and he has you every step of the way. That's what ascension makes clear. And thirdly and lastly as I finish, there is an old preacher's tale. Almost anybody who's been a long erstwhile Methodist will have heard it. A folklore tale of Jesus re-entering heaven after his ascension. And the archangel Gabriel bows low before him. Welcome back, my Lord. Have you accomplished all you set out to do? I think so, replies Jesus. Great, you've successfully organized a community to carry on your work and your teaching. Well, says Jesus, I've left a few folk about. They'll really need to get the thing moving. Only a few, gasps the archbishop. Is that all? Yeah, that, that, that's all. The, these people, says the archbishop, they're people of great importance and scholarship and ability. Not really, says Jesus, they're just ordinary folk. But my Lord, what if they should fail? The whole enterprise will have been in vain, all that suffering and all the cost will have been wasted. And the reply of Jesus in the ancient story is, 
I have made no other plans. And we could finish there, but of course the old legend story is wrong. It's simply not true that there are no other plans. Or perhaps better, if not another plan, then at least an all-important continuing dimension of the same plan. Because just as ascension marks the end of one God-designed marvellous thing, it marks the beginning of another God-designed marvellous thing. God the Holy Spirit comes and gives words to preach, power to heal, discernment to go and strength to grow. And a way is found and another gift of God's self-giving is given. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So make sure that you're in church next week. Pentecost. To hear about the way that is offered and if sought, always gifted, always found. But for today, do you know that someone up there loves you? Do you know that one has gone before you and that following him remains always the best way? Do you know you're part of a post-ascension plan of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit? Those this morning from a semi-jet-lagged Brit are the lessons of ascension. Amen. As we part in peace in the name of the Lord, may the blessing of God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest and abide with you, with those you love and those you hold in your heart this day, and then even forevermore. Thanks be to God. Amen.